every individual must learn what it means to be human. And this understanding begins developing in early childhood. What matters most for our youngest children is how we are with them, how we show them what kindness, empathy, and respect look like. They are following their leaders. Welcome to the Leading for Children podcast. We're excited you're here with us today as we explore number six of the 11 simple rules to create thriving communities for children, calm. I'm Judy Jablon, founder and executive director of Leading for Children. Joining me in this conversation are three great friends and colleagues, and I'll let each of them introduce themselves. Nicole? Thank you, Judy. Hello, everyone and those listening in the audience. I am Nicole Parks, the Deputy Executive Director at Leading for Children, and I am thrilled to be here with our friends and colleagues today. And I will pass it to you, Joelle. Hi, everyone. My name is Joelle Wheatley. I am a former and still connected to the organization, of course, but a former Leading for Children employee and a mother of a four and a six-year-old. I'll pass it to you, Maria. Hi, everyone. My name is Maria Rosado. I am super excited and delighted to be here with you today. I am a Montessori teacher in New York City, so I teach the two-year-olds, and I'm also an instructor for our teacher education program here at Westside Montessori School. Lovely to be here with you all. And Maria, you are also a program leader for Leading for Children and support learning network experiences, both in English and Spanish, and we're so grateful to you for the service that you offer to Leading for Children and Joelle, what an incredible treat to have you back with us. It's incredible to see your face on Zoom today. I wish that Jonathan was here to invite us all to take a deep breath and set our intention for a conversation about calm. Calm means peaceful and free from disturbance. When the emotional and physical environments are calm, I know I can more easily think, interact, and be open to learning. For me, light, sounds, colors, and textures of the physical space soothe my senses, and that in turn contributes to a really relaxed emotional atmosphere. So what we thought we'd do today is start off thinking about how each of us experiences calm in our mind and body. And as we think about that, how do you know when it's happening for you? Who'd like to start us off? I can get us started, Judy. For me, when I think about how calm feels in my body, it feels relaxed. I'm not holding myself tight. There's no tension in my shoulders. A lot of times when I'm calm, I find myself sitting with my feet somehow tucked under me or curled in. It's just a very relaxed, I'm enjoying the moment. And I think in my mind, it feels steady. It feels like there's clarity I can think. And it feels like a steady rhythm and flow. I don't feel like I'm rushing or frantic. I'd love to hear from you, Maria or Joelle. Of course I can go, Nicole. Thank you for that. 
For me, it feels in my mind uncluttered and kind of balanced. Sometimes when you have too many things happening in your mind, it can kind of cloud to see what is directly in front of you. So I feel that I am able to experience the moment when I am calm and my mind is uncluttered and steady. My body, as you mentioned, Nicole, it is as well relaxed and can just enjoy the conversations. You can see my mannerisms shift to what it is that we are within the moment. That's how I feel when I am calm. How about you, Joelle? Thanks for the question, Maria. Yeah, I feel I almost like have to define calm as what it isn't. But yeah, the idea of being open and present for me in my body, it's just there's more space, there's less movement. And in my mind, it's almost like time is going at the right pace, you know, that, that I can pay attention to everything around me. I can pay attention to my body. I can pay attention to the situation around me without any distractions. So it's focused and steady. I like that word a lot. Joelle, I'm going to invite you to talk about what you said actually right up front, that probably for all of us, it's easier to think about the opposite. So mm -hmm. describe the opposite of calm, no holes barred. Yeah, I was thinking about this, like time zooms up. It's like hard to focus, you know, it's fast and it's anxious. <laughs> And I was thinking about this when Julia sent around the questions. And so I was like, yeah, I could only at first define it as what it is not. So I even looked it up. And even most of the definitions are what it is not. And one thing that I thought was a really, really fun definition of calm and what it is not, it was like a sailing reference. It was a period or condition of freedom from storms, high winds, or rough activity of the water, which was the first one that came up in the Miriam dictionary, but I was like, what a good synonym or analogy or something for life. The idea that there's all this swirling around and you can choose to either be part of the swirling or be free from it. And that felt like really a good definition of calm for me. Wow. Given the conversation is about calm, let's pursue the conversation with calm and kind of savor the power of the beauty of what has been expressed. And I think we'll start with that last thing that you said, Joelle, that calm is freedom from storms. And it's the opposite of that swirling feeling. Nicole, you talked about, I'm not holding my shoulders tight. You said my feet, like you sort of said they're under me, they're with me. Words I heard were there was a rhythm or flow. Maria, you talked about balance. And you said, when I'm calm, nothing is clouding what's in front of me and I can experience the moment. And I think it was you, Maria, who talked about enjoyment and that the pleasure that you experience in that is evident in your mannerisms, this idea of going at the right pace in contrast to time zooming fast, which was Nicole's phrase. How huge is that? And I guess before we move into what does the lack of it look like and how do we restore it, we are focused on leading for children. 
And I think this is the moment where we ask ourselves, how are children experiencing life when we allow us to have freedom from storms? When we allow ourselves to not be clouding what's in front of us? Nicole, you can talk about your kids and your grandkids, and Maria, you can talk about all the children in your extended life, but all those two-year-olds that you know so well. And Joelle, you have two munchkins that swirl. Let's just hear a little bit about what happens for children when we can create a calm environment for them. I can start. For me, I've seen children really be their true selves, whether that means they might need a little snuggle, they know what teacher is ready for them. It can just be a look. It can just be a smile. It can be a simple word of, I am so happy to see you. That calm that creates, it gives them that safety that they need within our space. They know that they are loved and nurtured and cared for. And that is so powerful for a child because then they're ready to experience everything and anything that you have to offer. Maria, I'm going to step in here again because I've had the honor and privilege of spending a lot of time in your classroom at different times of day. And as you were talking, I was picturing arrival arrival near the beginning of the school year when there are children who are so upset at the transition. And I can see you in the room and your body, you talked about mannerisms before, your body is that secure base that we talk about all the time, that in no way are you having the emotional contagion of the swirling storms that are happening around you and you provide that calm and that peace and families just gravitate to you. And then I think about observing or actually being in Mimi's office and hearing you leave for the park with this little small army of two-year-olds singing and your voice is magnificent. It's so gentle and sweet. And as this little parade is exiting a building in New York City, all these voices are not out the door, but they're walking calmly and peacefully and everybody's singing. And you are that magnet of calm that even if you don't feel it, you practice it so that it's absorbed by the children around you. Thank you for that, Judy. And hearing you say that, it kind of gives me the other point of view of, I am like the duck in the water where it looks <laughs> very calm and steady here, but in the bottom is just moving, moving, moving. It's like, okay, I have these 22-year-olds that I am moving through, as you mentioned, the streets of New York City. How am I going to keep everybody safe? But being that safety for them makes everything work. Everyone leaves the building and everyone comes back. Joelle, think about, you know, 
you're welcome to go both ways. Moments when, you know, you or you and Ryan can be that that calm for Jacob and Anna, and then, you know, also feel free to share in contrast. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about when you were giving the example with Maria, how kids can kind of spin each other up too. I feel like when I'm calm, I can be like a little more proactive, like sit on the floor before someone needs a lap or, you know, move the glass of milk that's about to spill or whatever it is, just kind of see what needs to happen before it happens. And I feel like when I'm calm, or our environment's calm, our kids are able to do that too. You know, there's so much less hysteria that happens, dysregulation that happens if we're all calm because like Anna's just newly four. She's still managing her body and space. And when Jacob's feeling calm, he can see it and get out of the way, you know? But if he's already being kind of dysregulated by me or Ryan, our anxiousness, then he's not able to give that calm to her. So I feel like it's really interesting how kids even so young can avoid situations, make situations better, like have more harmony in their life because they're able to have time go at the right pace and envision what's going to happen. Thank you for that. You know, in the beginning, in the introduction, when I talked about children are following their leaders, everybody notices it. You know, we often talk about emotional contagion and how, yeah. you know, if someone walks into a room and they're in a good mood, our amygdalas perk up and we get in a better mood. And when somebody comes into a room and is heavy and weighty, we tend to go down. And certainly that's true for children. And you also introduced the concept of regulation. And I think that we focus so much on children's behaviors and children's challenging behaviors and often children's dysregulation dysregulates us <laughs> or our dysregulation is the catalyst for children's dysregulation and to be leaders for children and to sort of pay attention to why we're even talking about this it's the extent to which we can understand and pay attention i think you're imagery Maria of the duck pedaling fast under the water but making sure that what's happening on top creates that atmosphere. Nicole? Sure so as you all here with me know and some of our listening audience may I have a 12 year old and she's teaching me so much about regulation and the importance that I play in that for her. And so just the other morning, she is by nature a morning person. I am not, I want my coffee, I want my silence. And she gets up and she is exuberant and ready to meet the day. On the rare occasion that she is not, it is totally opposite. And so we were going to school the other morning and I said, good morning, sweet girl. And she just kind of looked at me and I said, good morning, sweet girl. And she said, good morning. And I went, okay, this is the day we're having. And so I was sharing with her some things that I wanted her to follow up on at school. Mind you, knowing that she was not really her regulated self. And she went to get out of the car. And so every day we have a routine. I love you, sweet girl. I love you too. I love you more than Matlock. I said, I love you, sweet girl. 
And she looked at me and she said, okay, have a good day. And she got out of the van and I felt immediately that dysregulation in me. Like everything I know about pre-adolescence that I know about hormones, that I know about her kind of went out the window for about five seconds. And I was this close to rolling down my window and saying, ma'am, get back here. How dare you? I took a deep breath. I drove on. And when I picked her up that afternoon, she was back regulated and she came bouncing in the car and she said, hey, mother. And I said, hi, sweet girl. How was your day? And she said, it was great. And I said, I am really happy to hear that your day turned out to be great. This morning, I know that it was a little rough. And she said, yes. And I said, well, what turned it around? She said, you did not yell or get mad when I said, thank you, have a good day. And I said, okay. And she said, I didn't mean to hurt your feeling. I said, well, at first it hurt my feelings. I said, and then I realized I just needed to take a breath and I needed to realize that it wasn't about me in that moment, that it was about you and you were trying to manage your emotions. And she said, and I did. I said, well, then great. And we moved on from there. And I thought about how easy it is though to become dysregulated by the action, especially of, I think there's no one that can dysregulate you more than a teenager. Joelle or Maria, I can feel that you might want to respond to either something that somebody said, something that Nicole just said. I do have something I'm thinking, Maria, if it's all right with you, if I jump in. Maria, you were describing yourself as the duck, you know, and I feel that way too, but I think my feet are underwater, but they're not. <laughs> and so like to your point, Nicole, like you might've felt something, but you didn't show Gracie Lake. It's hard for me if I'm not calm to not let that be. I mean, you guys know me. I have no poker face. <laughs> I have no poker anything. So everyone knows, you know, so it's like, I, I feel like that's a real professional move, Maria. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> a Nicole, an experienced mom thing, like of if you're not calm, it is very hard to hide. So it is really about like actually getting calm, not pretending to be calm for me because whew, they know. And I'm like, how do you know? I'm, I'm hiding it so well. <laughs> everyone, Ryan, my kids are like, uh-uh, you're not hiding it at all, you know. <laughs> and for me, I feel like it is the importance of the pause, as you said, Nicole, when you were telling your story, that pause to just take a breath and just let it go, because sometimes it is not about you. It is about them and what they're feeling and what they're going through and just taking it step by step, moment by moment, and just slowing down and taking that pause to kind of just think for a moment, how do I want to react to this? Or do I want to react to this? What do I want the outcome to be? And how am I going to do that for myself? We got into this incredibly rich textured conversation thinking about children you know, I think all of us have this experience with adults, with our spouses, with our friends, in our workplaces. And yesterday, Nicole and I were on a call with a new colleague, a researcher who was talking about knowing the research. Like, I'm not going to say being the goddess of the research, but pretty much being a goddess of the research. And then saying how she felt when she had her first kid. 
And, you know, like, are you kidding me? I'm supposed to like carve an hour out of my day to read to my child. Like, when am I supposed to do that? And so I do want to make sure that we all acknowledge that we're talking about some of the time. We are not perfect humans. And that's fine. We can't be perfect humans. Except that if we were always in the storms, we'd miss enjoyment. And so we'd miss what's in front of our faces to delight in. We'd miss the freedom of having a good time. And so I think we're talking about learning our cues for our own dysregulation, being able to say to our partners, our colleagues, I'm doing the best I can right now, but cut me some slack. And then gathering tools and strategies to pause, to navigate, and so on. I think we unequivocally have captured though child development you know from maria's littlest ones to your you know super active four and six-year-old to gracie as a early teenager that it's all through development and it isn't something we master it's something we keep on keeping on learning so why don't we shift to ways we restore calm because the really great sailor knows how to manage the boat in that fiery storm and not capsize. The really great parent knew how to get her act together and give her kid some slack. So what are some ways that you know besides the deep breath and all the things we know what are some ways that when the going gets tough and you feel the signals of dysregulation in your environment, whether it's internal or external, what do you do to help you restore that, that relaxed shoulders and uncluttered state? I'll say for me, naming it is extremely helpful. I mean, yeah, deep breath, leaving the situation, all that. We use humor a lot. But naming it first and foremost is so helpful. It's like just taking it out of its secret place or whatever it is, you know, and then, yeah, finding the humor so that we can laugh. And for us, laughter breaks a lot of tension in our house. And then the other thing I'd say is that this is a little bit of a deviation from your question, but I actually, I can't do it if I'm not like well-resourced any other way. So I have to remember in my non-involved moments to make sure that I'm doing all the things that I need to like show up, you know, <laughs> to calm myself down when I need to. And I feel like that idea of our own personal resources, like our cups need to be full, Judy, you know what I mean? We need that or else it's, it's never going to work. So it's like, you can't come a kid down right in the middle of a tantrum. You can't like use the strategies right then. You have to give yourself, okay, this is a hard moment, you know, and maybe it's just not going to be solved right then, but you can do things in the quiet times to help yourself be more well-resourced in those tough times. I can't imagine a more appropriate answer to the <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that is a brilliant reminder to all of us that we handle the difficult moments 
because of how we've handled other moments. So thank you so much for that, Joelle. Working on it, you know. <laughs> all we can do. Maria <laughs> or Nicole, do you want to add anything to ways that you've found to restore calm for yourself and also to restore calm for others, adults and children? Absolutely. Also, I agree. Self-care is important. It is not selfish. How can you be there and present for others if you are not showing up for yourself? So whether it's been a tough day with colleagues or your partner or the children, having something to look forward to, uh, such as planning a trip. I love to travel. So every spring break is a new adventure that helps me restore and fill up my cup so that I can come back and be able to show up for others as well. But also whether that means a delicious dinner or a yummy brunch, I love food. Food is my love language. So being able to have something where I can go to a favorite place, a favorite breakfast that I love to eat that helps restore balance in my life. And it gives me that moment that I might need to kind of just reflect on the situation. How do I want to handle it? What worked? What didn't? so that I am able to move forward from it and learn strategies. As we just mentioned, we are not experts by any means, but being able to have strategies in your back pocket that you can take out and be useful to help you move on from the moment is always a great way for me to be able to show up for others and restore that calm that I need. Thank you for that, Maria. Anything you want to add, Nicole? Ditto to self-care. And I think the other thing that I've developed for myself is sayings that I, I use in those moments. So for example, if I feel myself really dysregulated and really so the opposite of calm, one of the things that I'll remind myself before I speak is haste make waste. So if I hurry and say something, I am going to waste the opportunity for this to be a good interaction. You know, I remind myself of the crinkled paper years ago. I had a teacher that crinkled a piece of paper and then smoothed it out and reminded us that we can say things and do things, but even after we smoothed it out, some of those wrinkles are still there. And so I really, because I find for myself, if I'm not calm, I'm not as censored in my words. And so that's one of my telltale signs for myself. If I hear myself start to become brisk or just not my normal cadence, then that's an alert to me. And so when I hear that, I immediately kind of try talking myself off. And then lastly, if I can't, if I can, I'll retreat. I'll say, can we pause and talk about this later? You know, let's put a pin here. If it's at home and I'm with my family, I'll say, I'm going to the room to read now. And it's just because in this moment, I am calm. And in order to regulate myself, I need to remove myself from the situation. So humor for sure, naming it, making sure we've got ourselves fortified, being really aware of what we love and how we can kind of get what we love to 
restore us, you know, having sayings that remind us of wisdom and then knowing when to go away. In this conversation so far, we have really talked a lot, which we did last month in our conversation about safe, about the emotional state of calm. And in the 11 simple rules, we talk about the physical and emotional environment. And I think many of us have really different constructs about what the environment does to make us calm. You know, some people like a lot of activity. Some people like it to be really quiet. Julia, a wonderful member of our team, who's also the producer of our podcast, sent a survey to our team the other day, inviting people to think about what makes a calm environment for them. And we we actually did it for a variety of reasons. One, because this month, our theme at Leading for Children is calm, emotional and physical environments. And we were thinking about it because as we think about birthday gifts this year and kudo boards and just kind of how to be sensitive to what each member of the team cares about, we thought it would be fun to know what our team members, how they define calm. So I'm gonna give each of us a minute to think about when you think about the physical environment of calm, what comes into your minds? I can start because I can close my eyes and see my classroom where it's like the lighting is not too harsh, it's dimmed. There are plants everywhere, which makes the environment look beautiful. There are lamps to kind of give us that nice glow once all the lights turn off. It is clean. The smell, you smell thieves, which is like a nice citrus. Uh, so you can smell it when you come in and the shelves the room itself is uncluttered there are many things and many works that are ready and available for children but when you look at it it is visually pleasing it is aesthetically beautiful shelving the the paint is more on like a neutral palette so it is visually calming there isn't a lot happening, but as soon as I walk into the room, I can take a breath and just be like, okay, how do I want to start my day? What do I want to accomplish today? And how are we going to have fun today? In our book, 11 Simple Rules, there actually are some beautiful photographs from your school. I'm going to think about whether we can post some photos from your classroom Maria, you did such a beautiful, comprehensive job of characterizing a physical environment that's calm. And the research tells us that a calm environment, when we're surrounded by predictability, stability, and harmony, we can be more present, which is something that you all said earlier. You can be more emotionally balanced, which is something that was a phrase that Maria, you used early on and also more intentional. And many of you use the word focused. So the physical space contributes to our emotional state. Also, when there's an absence of chaos, noise, and clutter, which adds to stress and tension, it undermines the relationships that we have. And that came through so strongly in each of the stories that were shared. And for children, the calmer the setting, 
like Maria's classroom, children can engage more deeply and they can interact more freely with their peers. And ultimately, as we think about predictability and unpredictability, unpredictable physical environments raise our stress hormone levels. It happens in us and it happens in children. And when the environment is calm and stable, we all can participate in a more effective and thriving community. Calm environments support feelings of safety and security, creating opportunities for communication, exploration, and growth without fear of disruption or distraction. Think about how children follow their leaders. They invite us to relax and consider possibilities for both interactions and learning. It makes us wanna come back and have more. At Leading for Children, our approach to building strong communities for us and for children starts with each one of us. We invite you over the next month to check out our blog and our podcast and just be thinking with your friends, families, and colleagues about what it feels like to be calm and to be in calm spaces. Thank you so much, Joelle, Nicole, and Maria for another fantastic conversation. And thank you so much to our community of listeners for joining the conversation today about calm, emotional, and physical environments, another of our 11 simple rules for thriving communities. Please check out our book about the 11 simple rules. You can find it in the library at www.leadingforchildren.org. And also you can stay in the loop with what LFC is up to by subscribing to our newsletter via our website. Thank you.